All right, open your Bibles up to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have one of our Bibles from the tables here, it's on page 1025. We've been going through Genesis together in our regular series. We're going to pick back up in Genesis next week. Uh, But since today is Easter Sunday and the main focus of Easter Sunday is what? The resurrection, right, of Jesus. I want to spend our time together this morning thinking about the promise, not just of, or, or, or not, the, not just the reality of Christ's resurrection, but the promise of our own resurrection with Christ and how that should then shape how we view and how we live uh, in the present. We've been covering large chunks of Scripture as we've been going through Genesis, but today I want to zero in on just four verses together. Okay, four verses. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18. 14 through 18. We took a look at, uh, at chapters 4 and 5, all of that together. If you remember last September, after the death of our sister Rebecca Oltman, we, we spent time here. Um, but today I want to look at these four verses in light of the resurrection of our Lord and of our resurrection uh, to come. Just for some context, since we're jumping into the middle, uh, or yeah, to the middle of this letter here, um, we could we could summarize the theme of of Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church this way: God's strength in our weakness for Christ's glory and our good. God's strength in our weakness for Christ's glory and our good. All throughout the letter, Paul talks about how hard this earthly life is. And at the same time, how glorious the eternal life is. In these four verses today, we'll see that we need to have the right perspective on the resurrection to come if we're going to have the right perspective on the realities that we face now. Since it is a shorter passage, I want to read it first and then pray and then we'll get into the message. And and I'm going to start actually in verse 7 so we get a little bit more of the context. Uh, But we're going to focus on verses 14 through 18. So... 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. And here are our verses for today. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Would you pray with me? Father, you've said it yourself in your word. 
The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, O Lord, remains forever. So we pray that you would teach us this morning through your enduring word and by your enduring spirit so that our own endurance in Christ might be strengthened for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not just the most important miracle ever. It's not just the most astounding event in the life of the Messiah. It's not just an essential item in your theological outline. It's not just the reason for the most celebratory season of the church. It's not just your hope for the future. No, the resurrection is all that and more. It's also meant to be the window through which you view all of life. Those words begin the April 1st entry of Paul Tripp's New Morning Mercies daily devotional. I think they're fitting to begin our message time this morning because I also want us to see all of our lives through this window of the resurrection. I think sometimes even if we're confident in God's promises for the future, we can still uh, fail to see their, their right now effects in our lives. Because that view that's directly in front of us is a view of hardship and death. So here's our main thought this morning. If we want to make sense out of life, we need to look at it through Christ's resurrection from death. If we want to make sense out of life, we need to look at it through Christ's resurrection from death. When we look at life through the window of Christ's resurrection, we will see God's promise for our resurrection We'll understand God's purpose for our hardships. We'll rely on God's strength for in our endurance, and we'll stay focused on what we can't actually see. So let's dig in. We're going to look at God's promise for our resurrection. Look at verse 14. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Now, if you know anything about Paul's life, he persecuted the church as it was growing, and then uh, the Lord appeared to him on, on a, a road and, uh, and converted him, Ch- changed his heart, changed his life. So the church he persecuted is now the church that he, that he is uh, preaching the gospel to and, and proclaiming this good news of, of Jesus. Um, and in doing so, he suffered. He suffered a lot. In fact, he suffered so much that his opponents tried to discredit his authority and his message by pointing that out. Like, you don't suffer this much if you're in Christ, is what they say. They were self-proclaimed super apostles, and they distorted the gospel for their own personal gain, health, wealth, and happiness. But in this letter to the Corinthian church, Paul talks about how his endurance through sufferings actually magnifies the gospel's message because his sufferings point to the cross of Christ who was crucified, as God's word says, in weakness. And his endurance, Paul's endurance, points to the resurrection of Christ and the power of God to defeat sin and death. That's the reality that he's emphasizing here in chapter 4 when he says, uh, when, when he gives us this metaphor of clay jars. We have this, this um, treasure. What's the treasure? If you look at the beginning of chapter 4, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. We have this gospel message in clay jars. That's us. Not only does Paul's endurance through suffering as an apostle magnify the gospel, but what he's saying here is that every believer who endures through suffering magnifies the gospel. 
They magnify the gospel. And so what he says here to his Corinthian brothers and sisters in Christ also applies to us today. Paul says that even though we're hard-pressed on every side and we suffer in many ways, God's power, not ours, God's power keeps us from crumbling. Why? Paul gives us the answer in verse 14. For, which means because. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees his own resurrection along with the resurrection of the Corinthian believers. But we know this, that guarantees not just for them. If God the Father raised God the Son from the dead, then he will also raise all of his children from the dead to be with Jesus. Why can Paul say we know and not we hope? Why can Paul say we know and not we hope? Tell me, where is Christ right now? We sang it. If you were here on Good Friday, we, 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 we heard Christ's own mouth speak these words. Luke twenty two sixty nine. From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. He said that to these chief priests and elders and scribes just a handful of hours before they had him crucified. He was going to his death, and yet Jesus knew that his death was not the end. And because he knew it, guess what? We can know it. We can know it. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he told them that Christ must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be abolished is death. And when the end comes, after Christ abolishes all rule and all authority and power, he will hand the kingdom over to God the Father. That's 1 Corinthians 15. And until then, Romans 8 tells us that while Christ is seated at the right hand of God, what's he doing? He's interceding for us. So what does that mean? That means that from Christ's resurrection 2,000 years ago plus to our resurrection, whenever that day comes, guess what? We're protected by God's power because Christ is seated at the right hand of power. 1 Peter 1.5 5 says, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. If God guards us, guess what? Romans 8 also tells us that nothing can separate us from his love for us in Christ Jesus. Nothing, no one, no thing can separate us. Because God knows how easily we give way to fear and forgetfulness, he put his Holy Spirit in us to get, as a guarantee of the inheritance to come. 2 Corinthians 5.5, 5, just a few verses from where we stopped this morning. After talking about the resurrection bodies that God has prepared for us, Paul says this, Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. You see, it's God's power through Christ's resurrection that gives us victory over death, and it's God's power through his indwelling Spirit that then guards us until death is abolished for good. So what does that mean then for us right now as followers of Christ, it means that we are secure in Jesus forever, forever. It means that even though death may triumph over our bodies, death will never triumph over our souls. Do you know that? 
Do you believe that? And even its triumph over our bodies is only temporary. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that the day is coming when our corruptible and our mortal bodies will be clothed with incorruptibility and immortality. Death will be swallowed up by life. Listen, death does not rule your life if you are a follower of Christ. Christ rules your life. The one who conquered death rules your life. This resurrection promise has to be the window through which we view everything else. We've got to filter what we see through the lens of what we know. We need to understand this. Paul did not say, for we wish. Paul did not say, for we hope. Paul did not say, for we wonder. What did he say? For we know. For we know. When we know God's promise of our resurrection, then we'll understand God's purpose for our hardships. And Paul tells us that purpose in verse 15. Let's take a look. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. What did Paul just say? He said that my suffering, mine, Paul, is actually for your benefit, Corinthian church. Paul's suffering is for their benefit, Why? Because his suffering magnifies the gospel. Listen, when Paul is weak, God shows himself to be strong. When Paul endures trials and hardships in his weakness, God proves that his grace is sufficient. Keep reading 2 Corinthians and Paul will say these exact words. When Paul shows the effects of the gospel, as he speaks the truths of the gospel, God's grace extends to more and more people because more and more people see and hear that this extraordinary power is from God and not from Paul. And they put their trust in Christ. So the result is not a celebration of Paul's strength. The result is thankfulness for God's grace. God gets the glory instead of Paul. Paul would have it no other way. God displays his strength in our weakness for Christ's glory and our good. How are you weak? We all are in some way, whether you admit it or not. This morning, I want to encourage us just to think about this for a second. In what ways are you weak? What trials are you facing Do you see those weaknesses and trials as ways that God is lovingly guarding your own heart from from relying on your own strength and your own wisdom and helping you, guiding you, uh, gently shepherding your heart to believe that his grace is sufficient? Can Paul's words be your words? Do you see... God's perfect power in your weakness? Are you so convinced of God's goodness? Remember Psalm uh, 119, 68? Lord, you are good and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. Do you believe 
Are you so convinced that God is good and he's doing what is good in the midst of your trials that you're actually able to thank him for showing you the beauty of the gospel through him or, or through them? Do you see your weaknesses and trials as evangelistic opportunities? What if your illness or your ailment is for the benefit of your friends and your family members and, and, and coworkers and classmates who are unbelievers so that they can see God's strength in your weakness? What if the pain and loss that you've experienced is a way for God's grace to be extended to more and more people as they see you depend not on your own wisdom and resources but on his what if God intends to use the difficulties in your life to help people see and hear the gospel as you show it and as you tell it so that it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God? Do you want people around you to see you as a rock in the midst of whatever it is that you're facing or do you want them to see that you are a clay jar? Do they see that this extraordinary power is from God and not from you as they hear you say the same thing. What if God wants to use your hardships to encourage and comfort other believers in theirs? The gospel's not just for unbelievers. We need it too. We don't move on from it. We move deeper into it together. What if he meant for us to share in each other's difficulties so that we share in his grace together? How might God want to use your weaknesses and your sufferings to show others that although you may be afflicted in every way, you are not crushed? Although you may be perplexed, you are not in despair. Although you may be persecuted, you are not abandoned. Although you may be struck down, you are not destroyed. How does the promise of the resurrection help you see your hardships as gospel tools instead of useless trials? There's purpose, godly purpose, gospel purpose. When we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus, then we're able to see our weaknesses and sufferings for what they really are. Opportunities for us that God has allowed in our lives, given us to display the beauty of the gospel and glorify our risen Savior King, the one who's seated on the throne. When we know God's promise of our resurrection, then we'll understand God's purpose for our hardships. And when we understand God's purpose for our hardships, then we'll rely on God's strength for our endurance. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. When Paul began this letter, he wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 8 and 9. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed. Completely overwhelmed. Beyond our strength, he says. 
so that we even despaired life itself. Does that sound hopeful? We are completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. We had nothing left, Paul says. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Why? So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. How is it that Paul can go from despairing life itself to calling his affliction light and momentary here? He's not even all the way done through the letter. He goes from despair to, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. How is it that he can do that? He learned not to trust in himself, but in God who raises the dead. When you put God who, and then you put raises the dead at the end of it, that basically seals it, right? I mean, is there anything after that that, that God can't do then? Is there anything in, in your life currently then that the God who raises the dead can't handle? Even though our outer person is being destroyed, Paul says, even though our bodies get older and weaker, even though we develop chronic aches and pains, even though disease and illness attack our bodies, even though we're physically wearing out, listen, we don't give up and we don't give in because even in the midst of those things, our souls, our inner person, Paul says, is being renewed and strengthened day by day. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in God who raises the dead. We don't lose heart when we feel the physical bondage to decay because Christ has renewed our hearts and freed us from spiritual bondage forever. We read that in Romans 6 this morning for our prayer time. When we feel our outer person being destroyed, we need to remember as Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 put it, that Christ shared in our physical nature so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by fear of death. If you don't have to fear death, what else is there to fear? Jesus' outer person was destroyed he was whipped, he was flogged and beaten and spit on. They pressed a crown of thorns into his head. They drove nails through his hands and feet. He hung on a cross, parched and suffocating in agony until he gave up his spirit and died. But three days later, the one whose body was destroyed by death, guess what he did? He destroyed death when he walked out of the tomb. And that changed everything for us. On the cross, Christ bore the absolutely incomparable weight of God's sin-punishing wrath toward us so that we could bear the fruit of an absolutely incomparable eternal weight, as Paul says, of glory. 
And that fruit is produced through our light and momentary afflictions as we hold fast to the promise that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus so that we don't depend on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Therefore, Paul says, we do not give up. We don't grow weary in doing good in the midst of our hardships because nothing we do is in vain if it's done to extend God's grace through more and more people and cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. In verse 17, when Paul says that our momentary light affliction is producing for us, that verb there, the sense of that verb is is this idea of cultivating producing in us. It's cultivating, preparing something for use by, by working it over and over like, like soil. Any gardeners in here? Any farmers? That's some serious cultivation, right? We know this. You got to work that soil. You got to break up the hard stuff. momentary light afflictions are the garden tools that God uses to work the soil of our hearts so that the seeds of the gospel take deep root. Our hardships aren't just for the benefit of others. They are for our own benefit as well. Our temporary trials are cultivating us for an eternal resurrection glory that's beyond all comparison, far greater than even the very best things that we can experience in our earthly lives. The promise of the resurrection is a promise of victory. That means that, it, that we don't give up doing good, even when doing good will bring more hardship into our lives. We don't compromise what's right for the sake of ease and comfort. We don't let our fear of others keep us from showing and sharing the gospel with them. Instead, we fear for them knowing that if they don't turn from their sins and trust the Lord, then they will not be raised from the dead in victory over sin. They will be raised from the dead to remain in their sin and experience an affliction that is not light and is not momentary. They will experience the full weight of God's wrath for eternity. Forever. Without end. So we don't give up extending the grace of God to them through the gospel, even though they may actually be the cause of our affliction. We don't give up showing and sharing the gospel through our afflictions, no matter how bad they get. The promise of our resurrection with Christ is also a promise of God's grace and power to get us where we need to go where he's promised to take us. If we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus, then we must also know that he will give us everything that we need between now and then. And so we don't give up because God has assured us that he'll never give us a reason to do that. Do you feel like giving up? Do your afflictions feel like anything but momentary and light? Don't throw in the towel. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. God will not promise you resurrection and then abandon you to wither and die. Yes, your outer person is being destroyed, 
but God has employed every resource at his disposal. Think about that for a moment. God, the creator of all things, has employed every resource at his disposal to renew your inner person day by day. He's given you the hope of his enduring word and the comfort of his indwelling spirit. He's given you the fellowship of his redeemed church and the sin and death-defeating work of his eternal son. That's just a few of the resources. Romans 8 tells us, if he didn't spare his son, will he not also give us everything along with him? Ephesians 1 says we have every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Second Peter tells us that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Everything, everything, everything. So don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't throw in the towel. Your light and momentary afflictions will come to an end. When we know God's promise of our resurrection, then we'll understand God's purpose for our hardships. When we understand God's purpose for our hardships, then we'll rely on God's strength for our endurance. And when we rely on God's strength for our endurance, then we will stay focused on what we cannot see. Look at verse 18. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The reality that we see is not the reality that will be. The reality that we see is not the reality that will be, but it's hard to remember that if we're focused on what we can actually see. Why? Because we see death and decay. We see weakness. We see hardship. We see all of this stuff that just withers. We see it so much that it's easy for us to get used to that as the norm. But while death is a reality for all of us, we need to remember that death is not a normal part of God's grand design for our lives. Death is a disruption of life brought about by the corruption of man through our sin and rebellion against God. Remember Genesis 3? We've been going through Genesis, right? We've, we're seeing this. You hit Genesis 3, and we see, what we see is death and decay, disruption, dismay, all of these things. And we're seeing it so much that we, we get into this pattern that this is the norm. Not just in Genesis, but in our lives all around us. From the moment sin and death entered this world in the Garden of Eden through Adam and Eve, corruption has continued in the heart of every human being, leaving all of us to face death as God's righteous punishment for our sin. But in his mercy, in his grace, God sent his son to live a life of uncorrupted obedience to the Father, to die a sacrificial death in the place of sinners, and to rise from the grave to restore what has been corrupted and give eternal life to all who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus. Listen, have you done that? Everything that I've said this morning would, would just, please don't let it go in one ear and out the other. 
It's, these are not my words. This is God's word. The God who created you, who knows you by name, who, who has sent his own son in mercy and grace to redeem you. Please don't ignore that. Have you turned from your sins and trusted in Christ? Let today be the day that that takes place. Only Jesus can bring you out of death and into life. Even though we can't see it yet, there's a reality to come that will be the reality forever for everyone who is in Christ, for all who have put their hope in him, turned from their sins and trust in him. Listen to Revelation 21, 1 through 5. I love this too. Then I saw, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. That right there is why it's not the norm. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. What we see will not be. The, re the reality that we see is not the reality that will be, right? And then here it is, verse five. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. What a promise. That is the norm. That is the norm. That is what we long for. That is what we put our hope in. Not wishful thinking, but confident expectation. That is the reality that will be for all of God's people, but this is not what we currently see. I don't have to convince you of that. And so it's difficult for us to keep that in view. So how do we use what we can see to help us focus on what we can't see? Grass withers. Flowers fade. Trees lose their leaves. I saw on my weather app, it's supposed to snow tonight. Death comes to young and old alike. These are all things that we can see, right? And we see them so often that it's easy con to conclude that nothing lasts except for grief and crying and pain. But, but let me just ask this. Isn't it illogical for us to look at things and conclude that nothing lasts forever and that's always how it's going to be? There's no logic in that. What if we looked at the dead and dying things around us, not as the norm, but as clear signs of death's own demise? What if we look at the broken and worn out things in front of us and, and conclude that brokenness it, itself is wearing out? That it's on the clock. 
When we come to that conclusion about the things that we do see, we'll stay focused on the reality of the things that we don't see. When we see everything withering and fading, decaying and dying, we have built in visual reminders that what we see is temporary. It doesn't continue on forever. What we see is not what will be. It is not our reality forever. And what is unseen now won't remain unseen forever. Listen, I don't care what the Lion King song says. Life is not a circle. It's not a circle of hope and despair that's unending. The resurrection promise kicks despair out of the cycle. It's coming to an end. Life as we know it, or better yet, life as we see it, is coming to a glorious end. And it will give way to life that we as followers of Christ truly know because we know, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. We know this, but it's easy to lose focus on it because we have yet to see it. So I want you to do something for me. When you go home today, I want you to try this, okay? I want you to find a window in your house, probably, preferably a clean one, but whatever, it works, okay? Just stand close enough to it that, like, the frame disappears, and I want you to stare at something outside your window for a couple minutes. And after you've been staring for a couple minutes, I want you to think about what happened to the glass in front of you. You don't see it anymore, right? It's still there. It hasn't disappeared. You just don't see it. Why? You're not focused on it. You're not focused on it. So shift your focus. Once you have stared outside for a little while, shift your focus and look at the glass. Then what happens to the things that are outside the window? They blur and they fade. When you've been staring outside at this life for a while, it can be easy to forget the window that you're looking through. It's good for us to regularly shift our focus and stare at the promise of our resurrection with Jesus. What we see now is temporary. It will blur. It will fade. But what we do not yet see is eternal. And listen to me, it is right in front of us. So we do not focus on what is seen. We focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, I hope you are never able to look out another window again without thinking about the promise of the resurrection. It's not just the most important miracle ever. It's not just the most astounding event in the life of the Messiah. It's not just an essential item in your theological outline. It's not just the reason for the most celebratory season of the church. It's not just your hope for the future. No, the resurrection is all that and more. It is meant to be the window through which you view all of life. So if we want to make sense out of life, we need to look at it through Christ's resurrection from death. When we look at life through the window of Christ's resurrection, we will see 
God's promise of our resurrection, and we'll understand God's purpose for our hardships. We'll rely on God's strength for our endurance, and we will stay focused on what we cannot see. So don't put Jesus back in the tomb after today. And don't go in there with him thinking he's in there. Don't give up. Why? For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this resurrection promise. Not just that Jesus is risen, but that we are risen and will be risen with him. That even though our lives, our, our bodies, our physical uh, bodies will, will fade away, that we will be renewed in our spirits each and every day as we fix our gaze upon Christ and the gloriously good news of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would raise the dead hearts to life here in this room this morning. We pray that those who are weary and burdened would come to you and find rest. And we pray that you would help us to see what we cannot see, to focus on what is right in front of us, this wonderful, faithful, and true promise of the resurrection to come and help us know it and live it. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.